And welcome to Comics Exchange, your friendly neighborhood podcast. As normal, I will be your host, Mike D. We have the stupendous Ryan Shipley. What? That's incredible. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, the reason we are all here, of course, in his shop, the wonderful Comics Exchange itself, Bill Langford. Welcome back, everybody. Glad to have everybody here. Yep. And not only do we have the three of us, but our very first special guest. Is the one and only Miss Jamie Skull. Hello. Thanks for having me. This is exciting to have her on. Um, well, it's great. It's great to have you here, Jamie. It's good to be here. This is only our third episode, and we already have a guest. That's exciting. It feels like we're moving pretty quickly. I feel like yeah. royalty. This is great. Is it moving too quickly for you, Bill? No, no, no. I, this, this is fantastic. Because I can slow down. <laughs> no, I, I can keep up, but uh, but no, it's, it, it feels like a real podcast now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that was the plan is we wanted to kind of lay the groundwork, get everybody introduced to us. Yeah, yeah and they sounded yeah. great. I loved the first few episodes. So it's an oh, honor to you. be here for the third. I appreciate it very yeah. much. See, now we're obligated to be nice to you now on the <laughs> podcast. We have to... That's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that what we're going to do? The guests are always going to be nice to them? Well, if they're nice to us first, right? That's, oh, the... that's good, yeah. I mean, I can, I can you be want... mean if you want me to. No. Yeah. No, not, not Actually, I don't know if I could be mean. <laughs> no. <laughs> We got anything uh, interesting happening in the shop? Last week was kind of slow news. It might be the same this week. Any, any, uh, any cool stuff pop up? Or sold a, a few big big books. Um, sold a, a giant size X Men number one wow. for yeah, twenty four hundred dollars. Nice. Um, was that just like on the the wall? No, it was a graded book. Uh, okay. Yeah, in, in the graded books. What was the grade? Um, it's a four point Wow. All right. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, let's see. Uh, caught up to the um, the She Hulk episodes. I watched the third one. Uh, not here in the store because uh, <laughs> only reason I, I feel like if I put a TV here that nothing gets done. You know, like I'll just be constantly watching uh, episodes of Old Night Rider and Eighteen. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, here in the store it's been it's been business as usual and. A few big sales. I I'd like to uh, I'd like to buy something. So if anybody has any old comics for sale, we're always buying at Comics Exchange. <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind if you need uh, Christmas money coming up. Now I'm not really super familiar with grading books. So mm -hmm. like, how many graded books do you sell in like a it, it time period? It really varies. Um, if we do a show, you know, we might sell 20, 30 in a weekend. Oh, wow. But generally in the store, you know, I'd say maybe maybe half a dozen a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And how's the grading system work? So, like, a 4.0 is... Um... So, yeah, like a typical scale of 1 being it looks trashy, like, you know, you ran over with a car, huh. and a 10 being looks brand new off a rack. Okay. Uh, a 4.0 is, is kind of considered a very good... Okay. So yeah, yeah. Especially for a book that old. Especially for a book that old, yeah, yeah. So and it's a um a giant size book, it's giant size X Men. So it had extra pages and it was a little more more difficult uh difficult to keep in good shape. Yeah. You know that makes me think with uh, action figures. You know a lot of the stuff when action figures first got big with Star Wars and whatnot. The reason they're popular now is because back then people didn't realize that later they would be collectible and people would want them. Have you found that uh, with comic books, it, it's a similar thing? Like there's more serious collectors and later it's gone in the timeline? What do you think? Yeah, it seems that way. And um, especially now with the collectors, they're, they're, much more, they're much more wise about keeping their stuff in good condition initially. Mm. Whereas when I was a kid and the generation before me, uh, we just, we ripped into stuff. And <laughs> we know there was... The box was just, you know, a barrier between us and the toy. So <laughs> yeah. the quickest way to remove the barrier was just to rip it apart. Huh. And um, very, very rarely would a kid keep a box, uh, especially on Christmas Day. It was just a, a flurry of paper and boxes and double <laughs> A batteries, you know. It's just so today, uh, especially once people realize the value in comics, they were a lot more conscientious about keeping their stuff initially, like in really good condition. So this stuff from the last 20 years you you can find it but uh but when you do it's generally gonna be in decent shape just for that reason but the older stuff is the opposite story you know it's 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 rare to find it in good condition and that's where you'll see where kids have written their name on the book or just like ripped out the stuff inside the book yeah 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 there would be uh someone's gin rummy score on the back cover <laughs> you know or somebody <laughs> scribbled a phone number on the front or yeah um, yeah mike wouldn't even let me remove a digital 
a, a digital issue sticker from wow. Amazon. Wow. Damn. He's Mike. like, that's going to lose value if we Even though that. those digital coupons expire pretty quickly. <laughs> she pointed that out shortly thereafter. She's like, that's not even good anymore. <laughs> they go quick, don't they? Like, it's like a year. Yeah. If, yeah. Um, so what would be the difference between like a 4.0 and 5.0 dollar wise? Is it usually a giant difference in price? So it depends on the book. Um, like what it, would a giant size X-Men 5.0 you think would sell for? So if a 4.0 is $2,500, a 5.0 is probably 3200 something like that. Okay. But now the, the, the higher up you go, for instance, you can get up to a, a 9.0 is, you know, about $7,500, wow. $8,000. Um, but, but simply for the reason that it's going to be for every 10 copies you see, you might see one that's a 9.0. So it's just, it's, it's rarity, it's condition. I mean, that's going to be on any piece of memorabilia. Yeah. So, you know, if you had a Stradivarius violin, uh, obviously the one that's in better shape uh, is going to be worth more than the one that's missing, you know, two strings. And but then a, now once it's graded, you it's you can't open it. It's in there. So it's in a, right? yeah, it's in a case. You can't. And it, it kind of, in a way, it kind of defeats the purpose. It's almost like having a chair you can't sit on. I would hate that. You know, it's, you have a book you can't read. Yeah. But... On the positive side, it does offer protection to the book. Like you, if you drop it, it's going to be, and uh, and also you know that um, if you do go to sell it, that you have a, had a third party, independent third party, verify that grade. So you don't get into a situation where you're going to like a Pawn Stars store <laughs> and the guy, you know, Chumley's like, this thing's in awful shape. You're like, what are you talking about? It looks brand new. And then, you know, uh, Rick comes over and is like, I'll give you 50 bucks. And the old man's like, what are you talking about? And uh, so at least with this situation, it takes that out of the equation and you can put it online or you can sell it to someone and you're generally not going to have to argue about the condition. Now, when people come in to sell stuff, do they usually come in to sell stuff that's not been graded, like it's not been slabbed yet? Both. So you see an uptick in slab sales now, uh, okay. only because slabbing's gotten so popular in the last few years. But... um. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, it was all just raw books. And, you know, nothing was really slab that was coming in the store, which was great. Cause I actually, I prefer to buy them raw because I still like to read the ones I haven't read, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's aggravating when I buy a book and I haven't read it and it's slab because I'm like, well, it stinks because I've got it, but I can't read it. Yeah. And yeah. just like Rick from Pawn Stars, when you have a book that comes in unslabbed or slabbed, that probably takes in consideration what you're going to pay for it, right? Like the time and effort to get it slabbed. Correct. Yes. Because I know it, it's going to save me time uh, as far as getting it graded. And uh, like I said earlier, I now I don't have to go through the trouble of arguing with somebody about the, the grade. Um, it's already graded. And if I do want to sell it online, like eBay, uh, Amazon, Facebook, it's already um, it's already encased and I don't have to worry about it getting damaged in shipping. Uh, at worst, you know, the case gets damaged. I just replace the case, give them money to replace the case. Yeah. The one thing I don't like about the Pawn Star analogy is I think I'm chum <laughs> I, I don't like that. <laughs> no, no, uh, you're not. Uh, I mean, we're all... Um, we're like, not all Ricks. We're, we we're not, all no, Ricks. we're all Ricks in this situation. There's no, there's no chum at this table. It's <laughs> amazing. I wish we, if you were close, you could be his comic guy. Because I like whenever he calls in the expert. He does, yeah. And, uh... And, you know, I, I think, I, to me, and I don't want to ruin the illusion for anybody, but to me, that show seems fake. Mm -hmm. that's definitely, it seems staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much stuff like that's going through Vegas. You know, Vegas is kind of like a party town. Like, when I go to Vegas, I'm not thinking I'm going to take my expensive comics with me, right? <laughs> I'm, staying at the, I'm staying at the Hard Rock. You know, why do I have a... My suspicion is whenever he calls the person, like, mm -hmm. does he tell them beforehand, hey, tell them this is not as expensive as it looks. <laughs> does he work that out? Because I would be suspicious. Yeah, if he's calling in his expert, I, I should get to call in my expert, right? Oh, yeah. Well, like, the, the, yeah, the person with the item should also get to call in. Yeah, you know, the same but way that's you... a problem with any of those kind of reality shows. There is a lot of fakeness to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just to give you one quick story. Um, so there's the show uh, Storage Wars, mm -hmm. where they find the storage lockers, they bid on them. And so a friend of mine is a huge Mego collector. And Migos are the, oh. the old um, kind of a six-inch high-end action figures from the 70s. Yeah. And... Uh, so my buddy, he's a huge Mego collector, and he knows a lot of the big Mego collectors across the country. And there's one in California, that I forget his name, but he's one of the big Mego collectors. And he told my buddy, uh, Greg, he said, you know, the producers from Storage Wars called me last week. 
and wanted to borrow some of my high-end uh, Migos to stage a locker. And Greg said, so what would you do? And the guy said, well, they offered me, I think it was $350 to borrow them for a day, and they would return them. And, uh, and so I, I let them borrow them, and then I took the money. And, uh, and sure enough, I'm watching Storage Wars like two, three weeks later, maybe four weeks after this, and there's an episode where it was Brandy and the guy she's, Jared, the guy she's with, and they find a locker, and they open up a Tupperware tub, and it's got like a old some Teen Titans Migos still in boxes, oh, wow. and they go to, to the store, and the store buys them for I forget six or seven thousand dollars, but he didn't buy them for six or seven thousand dollars. At the end of the day, they returned them oh, wow. to the guy who's so actually totally fake. Totally, wow. even the sale was fake, the find was fake. It was all staged. I'm not surprised about and, that. Uh, that's crazy. that's crazy. Yeah, and like I said, I don't want to ruin the illusion for you've ruined the illusion. All the listeners <laughs> out there. Wow. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, the, most of those shows are staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are obviously staged. I had a friend that worked on Gene Simmons' old reality show, Family. Uh, Family Jewels back in the day. Mm-hmm. This is a Gene Simmons podcast, isn't it? Uh, and he told the stories about just how fake everything was, everything was set up. But that stuns me. Now, Migo, yeah. they kind of made one of the biggest uh, blunders in all of the history, right? Didn't, didn't they pass on Star Wars? So that's right. Lucas was offering the toy rights around to several of the different toy companies. And um, if I remember correctly, Migo would, may have been the first one he offered it to. And at the time, Amigo was kind of struggling. Like, they were getting down to where they were making, I think, Planet of the Apes and some of the other figures. But they turned down Star Wars, and uh, he went to a small company called Kenner. I think that was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, the rest is history. You know, Kenner ended up making millions of dollars, millions of toys. Uh, we all got the uh, the Vader with the telescoping saber, <laughs> you know. Really um, started the entire action figure big trend wow. on a national level. I mean, you had collectors, I guess, a little bit before that, but that's really what set everything on fire. Yes, absolutely. Man, poor Mego. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, they they uh, I think they um they sued the wounds by getting the rights to do the Dukes of Hazard Migos. <laughs> so they passed on Star Wars, but they did get the Duke boys. At that point, they probably just start picking up anything that was offered to them. They're like, we're not missing the boat again. And, uh, <laughs> now the Migo ones, were they the ones that had more of the cloth fabric? They did. Okay. Yeah. I, I hate to say this. I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but they look a little doll-like maybe compared to what you think of as an mm, action figure. Okay. They do. Yeah. Um, I remember the Thor especially did because his, his hair kind of poofed out a little bit and you couldn't get the helmet to stay on and it would keep, it would keep falling off. But you could comb his pretty hair. But yeah, he had oh. nice he had nice locks. Man. You know, do you think that one guy um, that played Thor in the old Incredible Hulk uh, movie, do you think he's just itching for them to do the multiverse uh, Thor stuff oh, that wow. he gets to do a little cameo? You know, he wakes up every morning checking his messages. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I was the first. <laughs> It'd be awesome to have an action figure, you know, made of you. You know, it's just you're a you're a one time TV star, and then thirty, forty years later, they're making a figure of you based on the multiverse. I'm surprised nobody's made a, a figure of you yet, Bill. I think you can do that. I think there's a company that you can actually have an action figure made of you. I think you're not, right. not like mass produce or anything, but you can be like, well, I'd, I'd like to. Have a I think you're right. I think yourself. you can uh, send in a photo and forty five dollars in six to eight weeks. Not that I know. I haven't looked into this at all. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> but, I haven't either. <laughs> but it's. I think it's, if it's forty five bucks and six to eight week wait and uh, and a picture and and you're good to go. So in a few weeks, there's going to be an action figure bill in the store. It's going to be uh, Invincible. (laughs) (laughs) We should end the podcast on that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I saw uh, one thing I saw in the news uh, this week. Um, So Mike Diotto, how do you pronounce that? Mike Diotto Jr.? Um, Mike Diotto. Okay. So he shared a nude photo of himself. Um, on uh, on his social media, does he uh, think he's Tommy Lee? Well, he was he was showing that he is in better shape than the guy that they got to play Namor in the new uh, Black Panther movie. So I think he's probably going through like a midlife crisis or something. Um, but he said, "You can tell somebody screwed things up when a character from a movie looks in worse shape than the sixty-year-old artist who drew him." Uh, pencil lifting beats swimming anytime is what he added. He did it on his Instagram. Um, it's 
very weird. <laughs> body shaming there. Right? Yeah. It's... Yeah, a little uh, body shaming. Of course, the guy that plays Namor did not um, really respond to it. Smart. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's just a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem... I know today's world of social media is is different. It's a whole different environment out there, but that seems very left field. Yeah, he's probably mad about creators' rights getting paid properly, something like that. I mean, I guess he didn't really. He well, he didn't create name. Yeah, I was going to say he didn't really. He drew him in some new Avengers anymore. issues. Right. Um, it's just very odd. <laughs> it's just one of those things where maybe some people shouldn't have social media or should have somebody go. You don't need to post that, Mike. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just share that with your friends. Um, it's a very get off my lawn kind of moment for sure. Yeah, it really is. Now you had a. Wasn't there something else funny that happened with the actor that played Namor this week? Like there was some big news that not big news, but it came out that he lied to get his job. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he um, told them all. Like they asked him if he could swim, and he was like, "I've never. I'm not drowned yet." Yes, because yes. he did not know how to swim. I mean, uh, sometimes you—what is it? Uh, fake it till you make it is the saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but yeah, you, you, you whatever I, I would, uh, I would take swim lessons. Whatever I had to do, hire uh, Greg Luganis or that's a diving coach. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would hire some a professional swimmer or somebody that could teach me swimming. Well, it gets uh, that you either have Greg Luganis or you have Michael Phelps. That's like the only two references that we have for swimmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Katie Ledecky. Mm-hmm. From uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I think I, this is from the Olympics, Ron. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> but um, What's but no, CGI. I mean, do you really have to swim anyway? You just sit there and wave your arms, and they just make the water. What's the problem? Yeah, I hope yeah. that's what it looks like. <laughs> when Namor's uh, got the Atlanteans and they're attacking him, he's just sitting there like. Shrunk. Oh, the message boards will light on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah, so it's just odd that. But I think. Obviously, the movie's not been out yet, so you can't really say anything until you see the movie because you've only seen like really brief clips of oh, him. Oh, yeah, just the smallest clips, yeah. flashes even. But it looks fantastic. It looks so fantastic. That's the trailer that gutted me. Yeah, yeah. And also, if we're recording this mm-hmm. uh, a week early from when we're going to um, drop this, so if anything big happens on Friday at D22, <gasps> yes. we're we're not talking about it because it hasn't happened yet when we're recording this. So I'm hoping, so if, if you're wondering our take on the new Spider-Man movie or anything like that, we apologize. <laughs> Sit tight. We'll get right on that in the next episode. It'll be chock full of probably more things than we can even talk about. Oh, any predictions from anyone about what uh, we might see? You you know, you've mentioned a couple times now you're expecting a new Spider-Man movie to be announced any day. So I, I would expect that. Yeah, it would be weird for them to go to 2025 with no new Spider-Man films after... The last one made as much money as it did. I bet we'll see Armor Wars. Yeah, maybe some Star Wars material. Yeah, definitely some Star Wars material. Maybe they'll show more of that. Because they didn't, they didn't do any Star Wars in San Diego, right? Um, uh, they really just kind of touched on Andor. I don't think there was any big reveals. I don't. There think was the so. Jude Law series, but I can't remember if that was done at Comic Con or before. Uh, I think it was before that they they revealed the announcement. So yeah, yeah nothing, nothing really Star Wars. Maybe they'll announce Obi Wan season two. Maybe they'll lean on Star Wars a little bit more than Marvel because they've already covered so much Marvel. So much Marvel. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we had a whole episode for everybody to get used to us and, and who we are. <laughs> why don't we? Uh, why don't we have Jamie maybe talk a little bit about her history of comics and then uh, why she is on the podcast? Well, um, I started loving superheroes from a very young age with Wonder Woman, with Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. And um, watch that in uh, reruns and stuff at my grandmother's house, and um, and I was a huge, huge fan. Um, I didn't really start reading comic books though. Um, back then in the eighties, it was much later when I started getting into um, the nineties X Men cartoon Ooh. and Spider Man cartoon that um, I just became obsessed with, and that was the point where my roommate at the time and I. Um, Shout out to BJ. Her name's also Jamie. And um, we were we would sit there and uh, and watch cartoons. And um, we were like, we need to go read these comic books. And so this was like uh, kind of mid-90s. And um, we went to the nearest local comic book shop. Heroes aren't hard to find in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, that's a great store. It is. And um, so we got overwhelmed by all the mainstream Marvel and DC books. It was completely, we were, you know, they were on numbers 700 and something and we were like <laughs> I, we don't even know how to start with a 
Spider-Man or X-Men or anything like that. So um, Image was pretty new back then. And um, you were talking about on last week's episode, Ryan, that um, you're an Image guy. And yeah. to this day, I'm still an Image an Image girl from uh, way back then and starting to collect all these comics from Image that were only in numbers, you know, less than 10. So I started collecting Spawn and I got some of those early Image books that were um, looking back kind of goofy and like gen 13 and stuff like that so oh, yeah yeah but uh that's what really got me started in collecting and um and even like now i love where image is now and some of my favorite books are image books now to this day do you remember uh which books were your favorite back then did you have like one or two that you look forward to more like every month spawn was a huge one okay. um also i've got tattooed on me david mack's first book um kabuki, kabuki. yeah oh. and um and actually uh bill I have a story with bill about that um so i was showing bill my tattoo it's of the masks from kabuki the eight masks of the no and he came out one day with this box four of the masks in it this really pretty like um silk looking cloth box with four of the masks and i just never had seen anything like that and we he, he gave them to me and uh it was really cool and um so i was all excited because i said well now i gotta find the other four masks like <laughs> and so we were looking on ebay and online and just trying to couldn't find anything to do with yeah, these surprisingly masks. like there was nothing, nothing. Huh. and so i was like well that's okay it's cool maybe i can make some to have so we came to the shop a couple weeks later and billy you'd found the other four masks wow. same box and, yeah. uh, and so i've got the co the complete set it's um gonna look great on the wall of uh, our I, new house and i remember nice. ordering those and thinking man these are gonna sell so fast you know <laughs> and uh and I, I never sold them and uh, I, I i love kabuki and there are other people that love kabuki and then fast forward you know a few years later and jamie was in the store and jamie's been a long time customer long time friend and uh, she had mentioned about her tattoo, and at that point, it was like serendipity, like it was meant to be, you yeah. know, kind of that thing. And I was like, oh, hang on a second. I mean, they <laughs> and I, I said, because I, I had them sitting in the back for so long and not knowing what I was going to do with them. And I think at some point, I might even had them discounted, and uh, they still didn't sell. That's so funny. But they were wow. so they were so beautiful. Like they're, I, I they really, are really beautiful. Yeah, and and uh, they got to be old, like twenty years old, probably. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And yeah. it was, and David Mack is hugely popular. Oh, he so does tons of covers now. Tons of stuff, and mm -hmm. it's amazing that um, I don't know. Maybe it was just early back then. Back Kabuki was a black and white comic. You know, it was yeah pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. we still we love those masks. So yeah, thanks for that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they went to a good home. Oh, we love them. And it probably happens a lot, right? Where you bought something and it just kind of sets for a while before it finds its home. It does, yeah. And sometimes I I know that going in, you know, like. I realize this is going to take a little while to sell, or if I buy something, I realize this is going to take a little while to move. Um, but the deciding factor, so like if I'm if I'm deciding on should I order something or should I buy something, I'm on the fence. Like it's really 50-50, a coin flip, and I can't decide. My deciding factor is, would I mind keeping this and wearing this T-shirt myself? Or would I mind, you know, <laughs> keeping this statue and looking at it for the rest of my life? Yeah. Would I mind taking this book home? And so that's that's ultimately how I decide is I'm like, well, push comes to shove and I have to take this home. Would I mind keeping it? And if I don't, if I if I enjoy having it, if I enjoy looking at it, then I I, I order it. That's a good deciding factor. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of indulging the kid in me. But, um, but you make peace with it. But yeah, yeah, I've come to I've come to grips with it. Yeah, which is good because um, sometimes I know you'll have statues that you'll have for a while great statues and they just don't sell until just the right person walks in the door yeah and, and part of that's just the price point on those statues because it's kind of high so it's it's a lot of money for so someone's really has to be attracted to it or has to love the statue for them to spend 700 800 on it what's the most expensive statue you ever had in here Ooh man so i had a uh let me think i had it yeah i had a thanos sitting on the throne mm, i remember that and that was huge yeah and, um I want to say I sold it for seventeen hundred, mm. but now they make some now that are thousands of dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, like they made a um, a life size Iron Man that you can buy. Wow. Um, I guess at that point it's not really a statue as much as it is like a I don't know like a stand up or something. But but it, it 
It's humongous. You have to plug it in the wall, and it's eight thousand dollars. Whoa! You should get that and put the Kabuki mask on. Tony. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, but you know, the, with a situation like that, is you, you have to have someone that comes in that has eight thousand dollars that loves Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then also, I worry, you know, if I buy a big giant Iron Man, um, it's. I worry someone's going to break in and they're going to be grab my Iron Man, you know, and, and take off with my Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, here in the store now, there's not really anything. It's hard to tell what's valuable, what's not valuable. But if you see a big giant life size Iron Man, you're like, oh man, this is coming with me. <laughs> you know, at least I would if I was the thief. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie like your first books like Bill had asked you what books do you like right now um, it's weird I don't want to say oh like what what books should females read you know anything like that because that feels weird right. but you know like what books do you think if you were recommending uh, like uh, somebody 22 just turned 22 a female that wants to get into comics what books would you recommend for her hmm. well that's a great question um, I was trying to say it as best without it sounding chauvinistic no no not at all I think that's very <laughs> what valid you, what um, are you broads reading your games <laughs> I think that um, now right now in comics is such a great time for um, especially like younger females to get yeah. into comics because there's a lot out there and there's a lot of um women-centric uh women creators um that are doing a whole lot of stuff so there's a a lot um you mentioned last week that any image number one that comes out mm-hmm. is a great thing to go to um i mean i love that when i see a new image number one i'm on it like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. most of the time now there's some that i'm like well i'm gonna pass that one up but most of the time i'm gonna check it out and it's always almost always worth yeah looking into and a lot of those runs are um short like five or six issues so there's it's a great jumping on point to see like if that's a medium that you are interested in getting into so um and and also a lot of those image number ones are going to be you know not solely focused on tights and superheroes good versus even all that image casts a wide net on their topics and what they do so that could be more interesting to uh, to someone as well if they're not solely interested in superheroes yeah and if they are you know um so like i mentioned it was overwhelming for me walking into a comics shop in the mid-90s and being like i I don't even know where to start um these days dc and marvel are both so good about um doing the story arcs so you can i mean easily have a jumping on point yeah if you're not following batman regularly then uh, you know soon the storyline is going to end there's going to be a good jumping on point where you can jump right into a story or something so um and i it, and i do actually tend to lean towards a lot of women like heroes like i love um batgirls is mm-hmm. fairly new i think number 10 is coming out soon um and it's it's just a lot of fun um i love catwoman um uh, wonder woman of course like yeah. it's uh, so I, I tend to gravitate especially if i see it's about a woman or especially if there's women creators on the team so um i really look for that kind of thing which is in. neat because like wonder woman and catwoman are both written by females right now i think harley yeah. quinn is too yeah i think so yeah, yeah. which is kind of awesome to actually have like a female writer it writing. really is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that that always uh, kicks it up a notch for me to have a female writing females so, or drawing females so yeah because it used to be back in the day there would only be like one or two female if, really female writers yeah there's a lot yeah. out there now there's a lot of really good good people out there doing work so careful you're going to trigger somebody <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably get triggered when we talk about she hawk um <laughs> but yeah so and, and like uh black pan uh, black widow just had a really good run that was um i forgot kelly sue i think kelly sue okay. the yeah, I think Rant wrote it, and it was fantastic. Oh, I didn't read that one. That's super good. I think it's been now collected into the three trades. Okay. Uh, super good run. It's uh, he she wanted to go farther with the run, but unfortunately, it just didn't hit where it needed to go. I guess with sales. Oh wow. Well, that, I hate to hear that. And I'll have to check out the graphic novels of those for sure. Yeah. Because I love that character, and um, sometimes I just have to be like, I, can I take on another comic right now? Especially <laughs> if I don't know how long it's going to be. But um, so, um, but yeah, I'll have to pick that up for sure. The graphic novels of those. And have you noticed, Bill, in the last like let's say decade, more female um, customers coming into the store? Absolutely, a hundred percent. And part of it is is the introduction of the TV shows and the MCU and the D, the DC shows and 
And two, the, you know, there was the uh, the stereotype for a long time about comics being like a a boys only club mm-hmm. kind of a situation, and um, that women would feel uncomfortable in a comic book store. But anymore, if you go to almost any comic book store, any comic book convention, um, you're going to see plenty of uh, of uh, women, children, men. I mean, it's it's yeah. really changed from from even 15 years ago, I'd say. But uh, definitely 20, 30 years ago, um, it was almost like a secret language, and <laughs> mm-hmm. there's only a few people that spoke it, and it was uh, it was mostly guys. But like I said in, a, in an earlier podcast, you know, it's a big tent, and it's a very welcoming tent. It's open to anybody. And so um, to have uh, – so like Jamie was talking about, for instance, I've read countless Catwoman and Harley Quinn stories written and, and drawn by men. Mm-hmm. So to read it from a perspective, from a different perspective, like a, actually a unique perspective, um, is something different. For me as a comic reader who's been reading comics for 30 years, um, I think it's fantastic to uh, to get to read, you know, a Captain Marvel done, uh, written by a female mm-hmm. or to read a Catwoman written by a, a woman. Um, only because I've already read a thousand other Catwoman stories <laughs> written by men. So um, I, I say bring it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you talked about how things have changed in that time frame, that 30 to 15 years. Something else I've noticed uh, that a lot of comics have gotten away from, which might be helping that as well, is just obnoxious, gratuitous TNA. You know, I, that in the 90s even, just normal comics you could buy at the store. I was guessing, what in the world is going on with some of these poses these women are in? But uh, <laughs> so, uh, comics have moved away from that a lot too, I think. Yes, um, you're absolutely correct. And I'll tell you one, one, good, uh, one good display of that. I have a daughter, I have two daughters, I have one that's 14, one that's 11, and when they were younger, 10 years ago, let's say, and they'd come in the comic book store, uh, I would have to take two or three of the books that were on the rack and, and hide them or turn them over, mm. um, simply because, not that there was anything like nudity or, but partly because you want to avoid difficult questions as a father. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, Dad and, runs a porn shop. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want it to get back to the schoolmates. <laughs> so, but... They can come in the store now, and there's a lot fewer books. I mean, there there could be an occasional book that I still have to uh, have to kind of put away or censor, but there's a lot fewer than there were when they were born or uh, even 10 years ago. Well, look at you being a good dad. Aww. So, yeah, dad of the month. <laughs> <laughs> you got the mug and everything. So, yeah, I think I got the magazine cover. They printed it off for me. It's official. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Well, uh, you mentioned She-Hulk. It seems like a good time as Anita to maybe uh, do our very first show review here on Comic. This is exciting. This is the first one, right? Inaugural, is that the word? Inaugural? Inaugural sounds right to me. Yes. What do you think, Ron? Uh, did you... Yeah, it's just, they're on the third episode, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And you've so, seen all three, correct? Yep, I watched them over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I was planning to save them for my trip I'm doing next week. But, you know, this podcast is more important. Um, <laughs> and it's not like I'm not going to have any entertainment. Of course. Um, I really liked it. Okay. Um, it's definitely different because I think it's the first just true kind of comedy that Marvel has done. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, I wish he would do more of the fourth, fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Like um, I like the bits that they've done with it so far. Um, I really like the first episode, kind of the introduction to her and watching her train with uh, Bruce. I thought all that was hysterical. And I thought they worked really well off each other. Yes. Um, the actress. Did we figure out how her name is pronounced? Jamie. Uh, <laughs> is it Tatiana? Tatiana. Um, Maslaw. Something about Maslani. 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 Yes. Um, her. Um, she was. Uh, she's very. She's fantastic in the. Um, in the show, like yes. um, charisma, really... just leaking out everywhere. Just oh, definitely. The place. She's and... perfect for the role. Yeah, really. Have yeah. you seen the episodes too? Yes. Well, what yes. do you think? We've watched all three. Um, I, I just think it's great. It's um, it feels fresh and um, fun. Yeah. Um, it's um, cute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that um, there's a little bit of a um, cartooniness to it, but it works really well yes. for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, she just really plays that character well. And actually, we're talking about getting into comics, like um, for a long, long time before I met Michael, uh, Mike D, for those of you, <laughs> I 
didn't have time to read comics. I'd fallen out of collecting for a long time after I had my kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back into it, one of the first things I read was Secret Wars when it came out uh, 2012 or 2013, something like that. Yeah. And uh, one of the books in that uh, spinoff of Secret Wars was A-Force. And it was yeah. all-women mm-hmm. team, and it was led by um, She-Hulk. Yeah. And so that was my first experience with She-Hulk. And, really? Yeah. And I loved it. I loved that whole book. I loved the characters in the book. And um, this, her, Tatiana's um, incarnation of She-Hulk is is very similar to that book. So Mm. I really liked um, how she's just green and normal and strong, but she's not like, she didn't Hulk out like the Hulk does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they changed that in the books for a while, and I kind of fell off of of Mm. She-Hulk because she was more like um, Bruce where she would Hulk out and be crazy and More stuff and i didn't like right it because right. my introduction to her was her being like she should be and that's right. how the show treats it so i really really enjoy that aspect of it before the new she hawk book started i uh, did a, a deep dive to see where the character had gone in the last 10 years mm-hmm. last five or so years it was pretty bad it yeah. was a uh, rick grayson level <laughs> yeah horribleness i thought yeah. um but yeah, no, the, she, by the way, we're reviewing the show, but the She-Hulk book is actually really well, is really well done. Yes. Too. I'm not caught. I've read the first couple issues. I think it's on like five or six or something. I don't, I'm not sure, but um, yep. I love it. And I, I do plan on getting caught up to it, but it's really good so far. So but yeah, the show seems more like it's based off of the, uh, the John Byrne She-Hulk mm-hmm. and maybe like uh, tones of the Dan Slot where she's working in the law firm. And um, so those both those series, I think, had humor kind of baked into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when you would read them, there was and there was in the John Byrne one, there was definitely fourth wall breaking before she, Deadpool. Before Deadpool, where she would turn and talk to the reader, and um, I remember that being a, a characteristic of the book that at the time I, I really enjoyed because at the time it was still pretty fresh. Yeah, it was before Deadpool. I think it was even before Ferris Bueller was doing it. <laughs> and um, but no, I, I I've thoroughly enjoyed. I've seen the three episodes also, and. Um, I'm really impressed that Marvel has a a good a good handle on their shows having different tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not every show, um, like Mike was saying, it's not all people in tights throwing punches, and uh, it's they do a good job of mixing up. Uh, one's kind of a comedy, and one's more of a, a drama, and one's you know they even throw in uh, Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness was kind of like a horror movie. Yeah, you know they they do a real good job of mixing it up. So. I appreciate getting to see a show that kind of reminds me of a, a little bit of a, a sitcom. Did you watch it with your daughters? So my oldest Elizabeth watched them with me, and uh, and she loved it because especially the the third episode with with Megan the Stallion. <laughs> Is she a big Megan? So the apparently fan? she flipped out when she saw because uh, you know the, the whole episode they kind of. Yeah, not a few spoilers, but they kind of hide the fact that you don't you don't see Megan the Stallion like you you think it's this uh, this shapeshifter who's just kind of pulling this prank on this guy and yeah uh, and then when Megan the Stallion shows up, Elizabeth was like, oh my god, like it it, admitted, it immediately <laughs> lended credibility to the show in her eyes <laughs> yeah. that they could pull Megan the Stallion on the show. Yeah. you know. And I was wondering after that episode if um, Megan the Stallion was she she was like, oh, you got to put me on the show. I wonder if uh, she was like, I want to be on the show. Just fangirled out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From Rana Rid, the lead actress. Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> um, I was a big fan of hers. And they, the the creators and everything of the show did all they could to get her on the show. That's cool. Uh, she did great on it, too. Just for... Um, Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> Man, Ron, your accent work is phenomenal, dude. Yeah. You've really been putting in the hours. Yeah. It's incredible. I have no problems at all now saying... Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, three episodes in, and they're short episodes, too. Yeah. Um, How many total are there supposed to be? There's remember? nine. nine. There's okay. going to be nine. Um, they're, um, they run, the first episode was a little longer um, than the other two, but it flew by. Like, I was actually kind of surprised when it was over. Mm-hmm. Mike, were you surprised to see Tim Roth uh, back as the Abomination? I was a little bit because, you know, that Hulk movie's always been in sort of a gray area. Did it happen? Did it not? In the a MCU? green area. Yeah. Oh, hey. But I was. And, you know, he's got a lot of charisma himself. He's mm-hmm. trying to yes. the scenery, too. So I think uh, I think it's cool to see him back. And he's, he's just doing his own thing, you know, hamming it up. So that's good. Yeah. Did you dig the, um, the inside joke they did where um, – 
where she asked the Hulk about Abomination. He goes, yeah, but that was so long ago. I was a different guy then. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. I had to explain that one to my wife. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Hulk, we got the running sub theme in there with him. And uh, he's obviously going back to Scar. Is that what? Okay. That's where the ship is from. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think they mentioned that in the first episode. He said, oh, that's a Sakaran ship or something like that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I think they're probably going to be taking him back to uh, where he was at in Ragnarok. And who knows where that's going to go. Hmm. Yeah, there's a rumor that they may int- possibly introduce his son. Um, I've, heard, I've heard rumors also that they, they may introduce uh, Ben Grimm in the show. Oh. Uh, ask Ben Grimm, not the thing. Okay. But that's just, uh, that's just you know, and you, you read these things and yeah. who knows. And, you know, maybe it's just from somebody came in the comic store one day and I just overheard it from some person. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, uh, definitely looks like they're going to set up something with, with Scar and, and Planet Hulk. Where's the copyright for Hulk at now? Can they still not do like a solo Hulk movies? So it's weird the way the legal rights are. They they can do Hulk in a team movie uh, or a team up film, like a buddy movie with Thor. Yeah. But they can't do a solo Hulk film. So they still can't? No. And I think it's, I think they can. They can make it, but the distribution rights still lie with Universal, I believe. So they wouldn't be able to distribute it. So like it's 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 weird. Like they They um, must have like the greatest like contract because it used to be like the reason why Marvel got back Ghost Rider, uh, Blade and Daredevil is because the copyrights fell because they didn't make a product within like I think it's seven years. So a lot of times in the contract they, they don't want you to have the character in perpetuity yeah yeah so yeah. they'll build in like a um some type of fail safe to where the rights will revert back upon certain conditions either being met or not being met so what is universal what is the contract they have so i'm just guessing that marvel must have had some of the worst contract lawyers in the day back in the 90s <laughs> uh, you yeah. know because they, they weren't owned by disney you know they were they were probably getting you know, the well, there was that desperate time for Marvel. Yes, where they had actually gone bankrupt. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twice, so mm-hmm. maybe that's and, when they came in and just. And that's the reason they had to license these things out because they needed the the cash from these companies that they were paying for the licensing rights. Because the only thing that Universal really does with the Hulk is at their Universal Studios. Yeah, I think there's a ride and maybe an attraction or two. Does the yeah. Universal do the Ang Lee movie? They probably distributed it, but I, I can't remember who uh, who made it. Yeah, but yes, that wasn't that wasn't a terrible film. Was it? <laughs> Did you like the, you like the Hulk dogs? The Hulk okay, dogs here's the thing: cool. when you go to a Hulk movie and you have to wait an hour and a half to see the Hulk. That's yeah. a little frustrating. Yeah. And yes, I love dogs. I love the Hulk you dogs. Love, of yeah, course. the Hulk dogs. But I wanted the Hulk. Yeah, you got Eric Bana. Oh man, poor, <laughs> poor Eric Bana. Oh uh, no, it 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 it, it could have been better. I appreciate some of the things Angley tried with the film, but yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was definitely a flawed film. It was a flawed film for yeah. sure. But the first Hulk movie was good. The one that Norton that may have been, I guess, the last Universal may, maybe Universal co-produced that because that was a Hulk solo movie. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, that, that movie reminded me a lot of, uh, the Ed Norton one reminded me a lot of the, the Hulk TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. From the piano music to... He's kind just, of a wanderer. Yes, to just the way he was just kind of the, the theme of it. Hmm. Well, now let's say they introduce his son, and then they make a movie called World War Hulk. Would that be a solo Hulk movie? Are they getting around it by doing that, maybe? You very well could. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what um, what Sony does with the Spider-Man, the villain movies. You know, by making these villain films, they uh, they kind of get around. The, I think they can only make so many Spider-Man movies, and uh, so the villains uh, allow them to kind of circumvent that and get around it. That's Man. unfortunate for us. It's unfortunate yeah. for Morbius. Uh, yeah, and Craven is not looking that good either. Uh, we'll see. I mean, don't be. He's don't. not going to be a hunter. It's going to be a. Is it a reality show host? I don't know what it's going to be, but I know they're going to get rid of the whole hunting animals part. Okay, because they re- they redid a what was it Craven's the, with the son of Craven, and he was a. Uh, he was kind of like a Steve Irwin character, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Back in the dark days. <laughs> <laughs> so I read uh, Craven's Last Hunt when I was young, when I was, I don't know, 13, 15, something like that, whenever it was. And that really left a mark on me. So Craven is a, a character for me that, that's important as far as that fundamental part of me reading comics. So I always think of him as Craven the Hunter. And I don't know why you would do something with him otherwise. I guess it's because they're making him the hero of the movie. Because I guess that's their thing is they don't want to have a true villain be the solo. Because I I haven't seen Morbius because I don't hate myself. But um, they make him kind of like a hero in it, right? They don't do the villainous Morbius. 
Right, right. Yeah. And uh, which he's had his moments in the comics. Like he, he, he would, he wouldn't classify him as an anti-hero, but you do feel you feel sympathy for actually a lot of Spider-Man villains if you mm, think about it. That's true. You know, the lizards are surely looking for a cure. Um, same way with a lot of the Batman villains. You know, Mister Freeze wants to, you know, cure his wife and. Yeah. Uh, Man Bat just is trying to find a way to turn back to Kirk Langstrom and so Spider-Man villains you know a lot of them if you if you really look at them they're they're almost sympathetic you know the last movie I I felt bad for Doc Ock you mm-hmm. know and oh yeah yeah um Honestly, I felt bad for Morbius being stuck in that movie. Golly, Rod, you just you're not gonna give Morbius a <laughs> no, chance, <I'm> huh? Not. <laughs> no, Jamie, have you seen Morbius? No, I have not. Okay. <laughs> it's Rod's and, crusade. Now I, I'm not really uh, very familiar with the character. Period. So it's yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, I just know the basics about him. But yeah, so. he's not one of the best Spider-Man villains. <laughs> oh, it's better than Twilight. So what did you? Hey, do? I love Twilight. Don't get me started on Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> so so bad it's good. That's what I like about it. I always think of Vampire the Masquerade every time I think about uh, Twilight. It, it sounds like she just took the ideas from that, like the vampires from with the, the superpowers. Yeah. And each they each had a clan, and that dictated kind of what their powers were. It's and fantastic. They were, yeah, yeah. they were at war with the werewolf clan. I mean, it sounds well, like the true. exact same thing. The biggest problem with Twilight, though, is the way that she comes up to get rid of that love triangle. Where the werewolf falls in love with her baby. I wouldn't know anything about it, Ron. I've never seen Twilight. <laughs> the werewolf imprints on her baby, right? Uh-huh. And that's how they get out of the, the yes. triangle. And that's a very weird way to get out of the triangle. Well, the whole thing's pretty weird. She's not really the greatest writer, but um, <laughs> it's it's just fun. It's a fun time. Okay. I love vampire stuff, too. So, I mean, I might even enjoy Morbius. I think you're like, if you just watch it, it just as a straight vampire film and take the Morbius thing out of the equation... I think you would enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. I might even like it more not knowing that much about the character anyway. Just, exactly. I mean, all I know is that he's a... He's from Spider-Man uh, books. He's a vampire, but he became that way because he's a doctor or something. That's all mm-hmm. I know about him. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. literally all I know about him. I think Jared Leto did some more of that method acting of his when he was doing that film, too. I think he walked with crutches the whole, like, daring, right, like, yeah. behind the scenes to mm-hmm. get used to that. It's not as bad as when he played Joker and gave everybody dead rats as presents. <laughs> What a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, now I'm going to have to take down my Jerry Lito poster. I feel, I feel bad. I got the, uh, having it hanging over your bed is weird. You know, I've got all the seasons of my so-called life on DVD. Say, is that, is that weird? All one of them? <laughs> I think. But, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I, I only went one year. I watch it for Claire Danes. Not, not for Jerry Lito. Uh, I forgot he was on that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we are recording this out of sequence. Mr. Ryan Chipley is going to be out of town. Uh, so we're recording this a little early, which is throwing off our whole book of the week suggestion. We're all cross-eyed here looking at trying to figure out <laughs> what's going to be coming out correctly. Uh, I, From what it looks like, Avengers vs. X-Men 4 is going to be out, and that's okay. going to be my book of the week. Uh, that series is awesome. Sometimes the big crossovers can kind of fall flat. Uh, this feels like the stakes are really high. It feels exciting. It feels inspired. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with two teams that are mortal to make it feel like the stakes are high, that's, that's pretty good writing. Right. I guess. So uh, I'm, I'm going to pick that one for my book of the week. Have you been able to enjoy the the event book itself without reading all the crossover stuff? I am reading some of the crossover stuff. We normally okay. have most of the X-Files or X-Books on the file right now, uh, just naturally having them. And that's where most of the crossovers are happening. Um, but... I definitely think that I could completely enjoy it uh, without those. Those are fleshing it out a little bit, but they're covering all the major beats in the, the major story. And I, I don't think I would feel like I was missing anything if I didn't read them. Okay. Um, for me, I'm going to say uh, there's a new uh, book from DC called Batman versus Robin. Uh, issue one is coming out. Uh, and this is, it kind of picks up off of Mark Wade's uh, Batman Superman world's finest. Hmm. Um, it's still written by Mark Wade, but I think it might be a different artist. Uh, but it's supposed to pit Batman versus Damien and Damien, uh, for people who don't know is he's a, uh, he's a newer character who's actually, uh, legitimately Batman's son <laughs> by, by blood. Uh, Batman and Talia Al Ghul had a, had a son and he was raised by the League of Assassins. Anyway, long story short, it's a bat, it's a father versus son, um, and it involves a lot of the magic users in the DCU. So if you're a fan of some of the the, the magic characters, um, Zatanna, Phantom Stranger, uh, you'll get to see uh, the storyline involves um, a lot of the magic people getting 
magic powers and there's flare ups and but <laughs> that uh, sounds like right in my alley. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it's really really good. And, and Mark Wade, if, if you're looking for someone who can spin like a, a Silver Age DC story that has that kind of that feel that vibe, he's a master. I love Damien as a character too. He's just a fun <laughs> yes little twerp. And he's, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the characters that when he came out, like nobody liked Damien. Yeah, because you know he shows up. That's and, why I like him so much. Yeah, yeah, he smacks around he, he Alfred. Doesn't wa- and, he doesn't even want to be liked. He's <laughs> no, no. He's he's definitely almost. Uh, he knows more than everybody. Antisocial. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, great character. Um, I'll go next. We'll save the best for last. Oh, <laughs> I am going to recommend Ten Thousand Black Feathers. Um, not 1,000 Black Feathers. And don't worry if you've not read 2,000 Black Feathers, you won't be lost. Um, this is the new book by Jeff Lemire. It's, um, he's got a series that he started called The Bone Orchid Mythos. Um, and this is the second book in the series. I think it's going to be a bunch of like one shots and mini series that are based in this world that he's created. Um, the first one, uh, I think it was The Passageway. Um, was excellent, and I think Bill still has some some copies of it in yeah, the store. I do. Um, but yeah, ten thousand black feathers. It's a new series. The other one is a hardcover. This is, I think, going to be a four parter, and it's Image, so I'm down. and And it's the the team that did Gideon's Fall. Yeah, I love that artist, yeah. Andrea Sorrentino, I believe. Yes. Good job. Oh, I was scared yeah. to I was scared to say that name because <laughs> I don't have a YouTube version of of her up here, so I can't. Oh, well, I'm I can't just say her name like Tatiana <laughs> Like I can't do that. But um, she's uh, fantastic. He's a, he's such or a he's good artist. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, I love. I mean, I would read something just based on him being the artist. To be honest, yeah. but I also love Jeff Lemire. The other book they did together um that i think is collected what was it called primordial it was the one with the um the the dog that got shot in the space and the two monkeys oh yeah, yeah. i forgot yeah. about that it's yeah super good it's an alternate reality where they are um where they've been shot into space and they're lost in space and something happens that causes nasa and the russians to just completely pull their um moon uh their moon uh, plans right because of what happens to those animals oh wow yeah it's excellent um, for me, I think since this show is every other week, then I'm going to recommend a book that's actually coming out this week that we're recording. Oh, okay. That's um, fine. And it's the fifth and final book of a run, and it's called Twig. Yeah. And it's by uh, writer Scotty Young. Um, and the um, artist is Kyle Strum. And um, it is just a whimsical, delightful, adventurous cute tale um that is just and like i said the fifth one is coming out it'll be the week before this airs but um if you can collect that run it's just a delight and so so much fun i just am a huge smiles every time i finish an issue of that and the art's incredible right it's, it's so good yeah. and it's just um really creative like just the backgrounds and the creatures that are in it it's it's super cute it kind of has that pixar thing going on where it feels yeah. like it could be for any age yes yeah. yeah i was just about to say it's great for and great for any age so it makes me sad that it's ending me too like uh, it, it could be issues. it could be a long a long series so hopefully we'll see twig again yeah. in the future i'll be shocked yeah. if someone doesn't pick that up for an animated series i think it's that solid oh yeah. yeah oh yeah me too and i would say if anybody here wants to get it and uh you know it's hard to find maybe the first few issues i'll let bill know because the um twig uh, paperback comes out in november yeah, we'll have plenty of copies ordered. So uh, if you're not into the individual issues and you just want to read it all in one fell swoop, uh, let us know. We'll order it for you. It's so fine. Sounds like we all recommend it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? Well. Oh, wow. Four recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> the Una recommendation, like the Unimind. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, right. Let me tell you who else recommends it. Who? who? Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right, uh, one segment that we have recurring here was a suggestion by Mr. Ryan Shipley. We all thought it was a fun thing to do. The character spotlight. Typically, it's going to be your favorite and least favorite runs of the character. Last week was Spidey, and it looks like this week we're going to go with X-Men. The X-Men. The Uncanny X-Men. The reason I want to go first is because I want to make sure I grab it. Uh, Chris Claremont's run is, of course, my favorite run of all time of uh, Uncanny. Um, I don't know if it holds up as much. Um, there are some great storylines in there. The Dark Phoenix story, mm-hmm. the Mutant Massacre, mm-hmm. um, Australia. That's some good stuff that Chris Claremont has done. I don't really like his current work. 
Yeah, I think for him, uh, his idea is always solid. And his yeah, writing yeah, yeah. was a product of its time. So if you yep. go back and read it, his dialogue is a little uh, wonky, but his ideas are always solid. Yeah, he made so many good ideas. And I think a lot of times, like when people think of X-Men today, they think of the char- of his characters, the designs and everything of, of that time. Um, and I'm just going to throw in the worst is Chuck Austin's run. What was it's- that covering? I was covering, um, well, that's where you got the whole Mystique being Nightcrawler's mom. Right. Um, some really painful stuff with Cannonball's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a bad run. But the Claremont run is good, and I think Bill has a lot of it collected. Yeah, yeah, and actually we have quite a few of those issues, too, if somebody wants the originals. Yeah, don't get the Chuck Austin stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um so for me, I'm going to pick. Um, so for for best X Men run, I, Ron chose my stole my first pick. I would definitely pick the the Claremont burn. But now a close second, and this is kind of one of the things that kind of reinvigorated me about X Men comics was um, Age of Apocalypse. Now this crossed over into several of the X Men books, so it was it, it took uncanny, but it took over all the X Men books for basically four months, and uh, it put it into a universe like an alternate universe to where. Professor X had died early on, and uh, Magneto had decided uh, to um, to honor his friend by uh, taking over the mutant school and uh, kind of leading the mutants. And um, but the uh, without giving too much away, there's there's lots of twists and turns, and it's, it was kind of cool to see a lot of the X Men characters in different uh, told from different perspectives and um, looked at at different angles and. It's just a great kind of, if you loved What Ifs, or if you loved DC Elseworlds, it was like a big giant four-month What If. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was fantastic. Uh, least favorite X-Men stories, or X-Men storyline? Um, it's difficult to say. I'm going to pick um, X-Men 2099. Oh. Uh, only because, and, and, and this could just be, I'm grading on a curve, but uh, only because I was so excited about the 2099 series when they started up in the 90s. And the Spider-Man 2099, I thoroughly enjoyed. And Warren Ellis, I think, did Doom 2099. That was really good. And so when X-Men 2099 came out, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to, because I loved everything X-Men. But uh, I just remember being uh, thoroughly disappointed in, in that and... Um, there was a there was a period there. It was it was kind of a dark period for X Men, <laughs> and it it happened pretty much right after Age of Apocalypse, like in the late nineties when X Men kind of got really bad. But uh, if I if I was picking one that just kind of for me that was was disappointing, it would be uh, X Men twenty ninety nine. Um. Well, for me, um. So, I haven't really read a lot of X Men runs except for more recent ones. So mm. my big um X Men, like thing is the 90s cartoon at which um i've been told is very close to uh chris claremont's yeah stuff but um so that is like near and dear to my heart i absolutely fell in love with all the x-men um everything about that show and so whenever i read um x-men now i always kind of have that in my mind of what the characters are like in, from that show well that, that's interesting because i mean like you said that that's pretty accurate you having that image in your mind is pretty much the same thing if you had read the comics from that time period mm. i really love what's going on now with the uh avengers uh x-men eternals stuff in the axe mm-hmm. series um uh kieran gillen is killing it writing that mm-hmm. some of those issues is yeah. he's amazing and um so that's really fun i'm loving it um and i'd say for my least favorite uh, again, this will be recent. Is uh, Colin Bunn doing X Men Blue from mm-hmm. a few years back? I think um, mm. he, I don't know. He just I didn't like the dialogue in it, and it was a shame because I really liked the artist on that series. Um, I think it was Jorge Molina, but um, I just could not get into it. It would make me mad trying to yeah. read it, and I'm like, this just is stupid. And people don't talk like this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the other one, the Dexman Gold? Gold, yeah, I did yeah. like that one. Yeah, it's hard to deny the power of Claremont and Byrne. Like, like we've all said, it's so iconic, and to this day, most people think of those characters uh, with those storylines that they came up with. But uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the new X-Men, the uh, Grant Morrison mm. run. Uh, that was iconic in its own way. And I think there's a lot of characters that people think of uh, from that era as well. It was it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. It felt different. It felt new. They had those kind of firefighter costumes and uh, his ideas, you know, 
a lot of the times the mutants can be, you know, four or five attractive white people that can turn their powers off and, oh, the persecution there, oh, no. So Morrison really had the idea that a lot of these kids coming into the school, the mutants can be disgusting and gross, and so their yep. powers may not be useful, and they're just, they're just problematic, uh, and that, that was really cool. I enjoyed that. And my least favorite run, it is a pretty big chunk. It was when uh, Marvel wasn't able to really work with the movies and they were pitting them against the Inhumans. That, that few years, it was a sad period for the X-Men. That, that's where the X-Men Blue run was at as well. And uh, the Phoenix Five and all that, that all was just, just coasting along. The Terrigen Mists and stuff. Yeah, know, that was yeah, that tedious. Was, you know. The Bendis run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to do it for me on those. Do you want to feel old? No. <laughs> that Grant Morrison new X Men run is twenty years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Makes and me I kind of want to reread it. Didn't it coincide with the? If I remember correctly, didn't it coincide with the first X Men movie? It did because yeah. that influenced the costumes a bit. Because the costumes were kind of mm-hmm. they they wanted them to sync up, and so they kind of all put them in the leather jackets and. And uh, to this day, I don't think Hugh Jackman ever once wore the uh, the Wolverine costume, right? Not that I can so think we of. need him in the Deadpool movie. So in that one costume. time, just you know, for five minutes, just put him in the costume. Please. Which costume? Uh, the classic, the Jim Lee, the nineties, like uh, Jamie was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the the kind of the blue and yellow is what I would put him in. Got the tiger stripes. Tiger stripes. Even though it, you know it, it might look a little uh, underoos, you know, <laughs> I would uh, I would pay good money to see it one time. Mm-hmm. Marvel movies, I think, do a good job of mixing sort of the classic superhero look with also some textures. It's not like some of the DC stuff where they're clearly fake abs and everything's armored. It's mm-hmm. that's a good blend, I think. Well, yeah, if you yeah, notice yeah. the Spider-Man, well, I think was the first one I noticed it to where they to keep it from looking like pajamas, they raised the webbing on the yeah. the, the uniform, the costume, um, to give it that third dimension, like you said, to give it kind of like a little pop. Mm. Uh, otherwise it looks like yeah someone running around kind of in their in their jammies <laughs> that's what's going to be weird to me when they do the next spider-man film because at the end of uh the last one yes. he is in the jammies he's in the classic but i but i love it yeah, i love it too but i wonder <laughs> so, how that how they're going to do that yeah i mean i think the people at this point are willing to like they won't roll their eyes as hard as they would have 20 years ago if yeah, they yeah, started yeah. off with that look yep i think at this point people are so sold on spider-man that you could almost put them in anything you know all right but, yeah I can tell you one person that's not going to be upset about it. Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> it never gets old. It doesn't. No. <laughs> right. Should we do well, recommendations? Yeah, you know what? It's hard to believe, but we're almost here at the end of the episode. It has flown by, so let's go ahead and uh, let's get those recommendations in, why don't we, and uh, take it on home. All right. I'll go first. Um, my recommendation is actually stars. Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> it's, um, she did a show. I think it was their first uh, introduction to her as an actress uh, called Orphan Black. Um, all five seasons are out you should be able to find them on the streaming network Um, essentially she plays through the show she ends up playing she plays clones of herself and I think by the end she plays like eight or nine clones each clone felt like a different actress to the point where if a clone dies or gets written off the show I felt bad like I thought an actress was leaving the show um, she does such a phenomenal job. Um, they're doing a spinoff next year that's going to have uh, Kristen Ritter uh, from Jessica Jones, but I don't know if she's going to be able to top Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> but we still see. But honestly, if you if you dig her on She-Hulk, definitely reach out. Find Orphan Black five seasons, short season, so it's not a huge uh, time ask. Right. But excellent show. I would recommend uh, sticking with TV shows, a uh, an Apple TV show called Severed, Ooh. with um, Jason Scott, and, or I'm sorry, Adam Scott. Um, I think Christopher Walken, John Turturro, uh, the the younger Arquette sister, um, <laughs> Patricia. Patricia. Yep. Thanks. But uh, a fantastic show, and just to give you a brief, uh, the concept is um, there's this place uh, you can work at. Um, it's kind of one of the like the secretive kind of like a I don't know like a cultish type place. But anyway, the premise is when you go to work at this place, they can sever your personality, basically bifurcate it and Ooh. partition it off into two separate uh, hard drives. And so, for instance, once you go to work and you go down the elevator, you don't remember your outside life at all. Oh. Your personality completely switches. So, for instance, if you had been in a situation where, let's say recently your 
your spouse and your child died in a car accident, let's say, and you wanted relief even for eight, nine hours a day to get away from that, this might be a place where you would think of going to work just oh, to get wow. that reprieve of not having to think about it for 10 hours a day. And so it picks up with Adam Scott and obviously something's happened to him and he wants to kind of try and escape from it. And he's working at this place. And then as you discover more about the place, it, hmm. it turns out to be quite sinister and, um, but it's a fantastic show and it, it, it raises all kinds of philosophical questions about, um, the ethics of, of doing something like that. And, but uh, if you have Apple TV, 100% recommendations, 100% Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, such Whoa. a good show. Yeah. Especially when you discover, hey, what about the people that only have the work life? As far as they're concerned, they get an elevator at the end of the day to leave, and then the next thing they know, they're getting off the elevator to go back to work. They mm-hmm. only know work. They only know the work. Yes. That is interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. a good show. I have lately been into Gunpla, which is a nickname for building uh, Japanese models by the name of Gundam. It's a long-standing tradition oh, yeah. going back to the 70s. Uh, <laughs> and there's a brand new series coming up called The Witch from Mercury. Uh, there's some models coming up for it. They look spectacular. I'm going to do a toy spotlight on that, maybe on the next episode. But the very first episode of the show is up for free on YouTube. The Witch from Mercury. Really high quality. Uh, first female lead in a Gundam show tying in with our sexist oh. themes of today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really super high quality. The Gundam model designs are incredible. Absolutely love them. Uh, get to the Comic Exchange or your local comics establishment. Get those pre-ordered. They're going to be pretty hard to find. It seems like there's a lot of excitement around this. Yeah. Yeah, I love Gundams. Yeah. Uh, for me, my recommendation is going to have to be um, the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Yeah. It's, um, oh, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, it's so... Um, as a huge Tolkien fan, it is it really captures the essence of his writing, which um, you know Peter Jackson did such a great job with the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, but this really has um, a lot of that um, light and dark that um, Tolkien was so good at writing, and it comes through so well in the show. And it's just magical and beautiful, and the casting is great. Um, the scenery's amazing, and um, it's a it's just beautiful i can't wait to watch more of it yeah i wish there was another one to watch right now honestly uh, huh. yeah every every aspect of that show i was completely surprised about i love it now what channel does it come on is it oh it's uh, amazon prime amazon prime okay mm-hmm. the first uh, two are out right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by this episode the first three will be out mm-hmm. no four are close to the year i know no four or will it be four that week It'll be four that week because it'll be next. Cut that part. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a time vortex. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that's going to do it for uh, everything we got on the list. It's been checked off. We've had our first guest, and I hope you guys have had a lot of fun. We have. This has been our, great. Our best episode yeah. by far. Uh, best yes, of us. Yes, and our, although Ryan, you didn't dress up for me. You said last week that oh, you were, well, I wore right, my best I Ted Lasso <laughs> shirt. I do have new pants on. I've never worn before. Um, our next guests are going to have like a lots of. You know, she was great. Oh, yeah. She set the bar. Yeah. She set the bar. Too. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. I, I have a lot of things to talk about in the world of nerdy comic stuff. So, well, we're definitely going to have you back. And it's, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I can't wait. It, it's always easier to. And it's... they won't be just sexist questions. No. Yeah. Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll mix it up next time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this has been great. Uh, we will see you guys next time. I've been your host, Mike D. I've been Tatiana Maslani. <laughs> Okay, it does get old. I lied. No, it doesn't get old. Uh, it's, it's, it's been another great podcast, and it's uh, uh, Bill Langford signing off. And Jamie uh, Skull. And our very first guest, uh, and we're going to call it a wrap, and we will see you in the funny books. Bye. 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 Invincible. Invincible.